Welcome to the Then What 3x5 podcast with Then What founder Grant Barth. The goal of this show is simple. We'll invite global creatives, innovators, and business leaders to share their unique perspectives and join us on a journey to find out how industry-leading brands are powering growth by exploring the role and influence of art and culture on their organizations. Welcome to Then What's 3x5 podcast, a discussion of ideas and tips from our global network who join us in our brand lab to lead creative business and brands forward to the future. At Then What, we start from a merchandising perspective when working with our clients. As merchants, we work from concept to consumer to drive opportunities beyond the obvious. Today's discussion brings together two world-class merchandising leaders, Angelo Ng from Wolverine and Julie Pike from Bonobos, both who worked with me at global brands, including Nike and Levi's. Julie and Angelo bring together lots of tips for today's modern merchants, but mainly the traits we all could use in today's business. Having curiosity, driving with passion, having the tenacities to see ideas through to the end, and optimism toward the future. Welcome, Julie and Angelo. Hi. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Sure. I'm so excited. I am too. It is true that we have all worked together in a variety of capacities over our careers. Um, I think this is one of the first times we actually taken a moment to all three sit down and talk seriously, and I say that with an uh, asterisk, um, <laughs> about our views on, on merchandising. So uh, before we get started for the audience, why don't we uh, have you introduce yourself? So Julie, why don't you go first? Sure. So um, my name is Julie Pike and I'm the chief merchant of Bonobos, uh, which is a digital native menswear brand. Um, prior to that, you can probably tell from the accent, I'm actually not American, but I've lived around the world working for both uh, Levi's for 14 years, as well as Nike across Asia, Australia and the US. Angela. All right. So, um, well, thanks again, Grant, for, for having me. I am the Chief Merchant Officer at Wolverine Worldwide, predominantly footwear, which was um, kind of like one of the things I always wanted to do. Um, we have 12 brands, some of them more known than others, um, Merrill, Saucony, Chaco, and of course the namesake brand Wolverine, where it all started. And we got Cats, Caterpillar, um, and your name is Perry, it's another big one. So. A lot of different brands targeting different consumers, different price points across the globe. So, yeah, super excited to kind of like jump into that world. I've been there now two years, and it's been a roller coaster, fun, um, especially with COVID um, so far. Terrific. Well, we are here today to talk about in, in the business world what's a huge topic um, because there are man, many, multiple different definitions of merchandising, uh, depending on where you start your kind of your your view of business, I guess. Some think of it as more product management, others are marketplace merchandising, um, even some are like more in-store or online merchandising. Uh, the answer is all three of them are extremely important and share some common skill sets. But for us, and we talk often about the philosophy of merchandising, where it's been in the past, how we built on the foundation of our learnings and where we've taken brands, big global brands uh, throughout the years and where it's going in the future. And probably today it's faster changing than any other time. 
Um, but I want to start out with kind of our point of view, which we talked about earlier, like it's threefold. So point number one is call them the consumer, the customer, the community, the tribe, the brand fan, whatever we define, it's really that one person that's in the brand that we always place in the center of all our decisions. And number two is we build brands to drive long-term value. And a lot of people do talk about brand very loosely, but really what's different about a brand from a merchandising perspective is all the decisions we make are about long-term value, right? Not it's short-term gains, yes, to get from season to season, but it's really around a long-term strategic roadmap. And then number three is we define a modern merchant's role to manage the life cycle of brand from concept to consumer. And best merchants in the world are, are multitaskers, but also have um, specific disciplines. But we're always looking across the enterprise to really drive value out of every decision that we make. So starting with Angelo, based on those three points, um, what has been the merchandising evolution over the years? There are both generalists and specialists, as we just said, but what's changed most today? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a super interesting and I think very timely question um, with everything else that's happening in the world. I mean, if, if we go back, um, I think merchants have existed as long as um, there's been trade, right? And from my point of view, it's almost like coming full circle because what we, we would consider the initial original merchants, if you want. I mean, these were basically the ones that really were, you talked about consumer centricity, they knew their consumer and they went somewhere in the in the globe, in the, in the world, to find something that didn't exist in the market and bring it to them. Or they created something themselves to bring to their, to their consumer. And I think the big piece here is P&L responsibility because they had skin in the game because their, their goal was to intimately know their consumer and keep servicing their consumer. As everything evolved, we, we had at one point a split between what we call a wholesale and a retail consumer. And now, especially with um, e-commerce kind of like taking um, the flight that it has taken, um, accelerated by COVID, we are getting back to that ownership. Penal responsibility has always been part of a merchant's life, but depending on which company, which um, kind of like call it subdivision, if you want, or subdiscipline, it got taken away um, in, in some instances. And I think where it's going, and that's kind of like the full circle that I'm seeing, is that coming back. And that is part of that DTC slash omni-channel really ownership. The piece that I would like to add is that, and then you, you touched on this, is that consumer centricity. I mean, everybody always says that consumer focus, consumer centricity, but I think it sometimes get used more as, as a buzzword and, you know, something that we always talk about, the center of culture, which is super important because it all starts there because you have this whole journey around kind of like product life cycle, brand life cycle, whatever you want to call it, but it is everything needs to be connected to that um, center of culture. So that is that is the main evolution that I see, kind of like the old becoming the new. Yeah, I agree. Let's, so Julie, that's a good point. We talked about, I mean, you're really working at, as a digital native brand that's growing, one of the first, right? So the consumer first for you, and to be more specific, that consumer journey that goes online, you have your own retail stores at Bonobos. Um, but what has changed over the past year and how has the engagement of consumers with brands and products 
really changed in your business, what you're seeing across the industry? Yeah. You know, I think COVID has been basically an accelerant to any of the things that were happening pre-pandemic. So you think about um, whether it be the digitization of the experience, customer experience, digitization of the supply chain, whether it be the acceleration of casualization. I don't think those things weren't true before. It was just fuel to the fire. And, you know, that's been super interesting. Think, you know, kind of coming back to what Angela said, how do you put the consumer at the core, you know, has been more important over the last 12 to 18 months than ever before because those shifts and behaviors and trends that we probably knew to be more consistent previously turned on their head. And I think that that's been so important to be more in real time than we've ever been before. You know, the thing that is so important, I think, to keep balanced from a brand perspective is how do you remain agile and nimble and responsive, but without losing the heart and soul of the DNA of the brand that you're working for? And I think, you know, that's been top of mind for us to make sure that we are nimble, we are agile, but we're remaining true to the core of the brand. And I think that's a really important thing for us to think about. So we we always take the this complex world of merchandising and we break it down to really the art, the skills for the art side and yeah. the skills for the science side. As we look at kind of the art and science of merchandising, I mean, Julie, you frame up kind of the perfect door, like what's the science side? You, you're you always a, a master of analytics and, and how that really impacts more of the science is where we start. And kind of another buzzword we talk about is, you know, analytics. Um, I've had several conversations this past week with, with brands around you know, I need consumer insight and what is it? But it's always like, well, what are you, what are you really going to use that insight for, right? Could you kind of expand on how you use analytics and what you're seeing from hindsighting and foresighting? Yeah. You know, I think the last year more than ever has taught us that hindsighting is, you know, it's an interesting baseline, reality is, but it's really nothing without the foresight and the insight. And as you think about the entire customer journey, where and how do you engage in those checkpoints of the customer journey? And how do you use data and analytics within that? But I think just as importantly, what is the consumer saying? I like to listen to what is the motivations of the consumer specifically, because I think if you understand the motivations and the behaviors, that actually helps you to drive the insights that can be supported by data, but sometimes it not. it's not supported by data. And actually, I think that's okay because as you're looking forward, as you're thinking about the future, you don't always have data for the future. And so sometimes you need to take those risks to really lead the way versus follow. And I think that that's, that's been super important and more so than ever over the last year. Well, and there's, you know, you have the analytics and how important, I mean, I, a, a lot of our success in bringing products to market and even then the marketing that goes with that is really having one-on-one -on -one conversations with consumers, like, you know, having the chance to actually go into their homes, talk with them, talk about what's in their closet, products, the way that they do. That's also in the science, you know, side of, of merchandising that is quite artful. But Julie, you've had some experience in, in working with that. And how has that really impacted your decisions by having those one-on-one -on -one discussions? Oh my gosh, significantly. I mean, you think about, you know, when we were all together at Levi's and we were really thinking about resetting the women's business, you know, I think one of the most 
or the deepest insights that lent to how we were going to build a strategy was that at the time she was trying on at least 10 pairs of jeans to try and find one pair of jeans that was going to work for her. So for me, unpacking that was so important because if you think about it, by the time you're trying on 10 pairs of jeans, gosh, I mean, if you've got there, that's commitment to start off with. But it's such a trying process. And so, you know, really, how do you think about simplifying that process, that denim shopping process, make it more enjoyable, let's be honest, because 10 pairs of jeans to try on is never fun. And then, you know, really then think about, okay, once you've got her into denim, how do you then think about tops? And for me, that's an insight that is truly something that you can build a strategy upon. And so, you know, for me, those kind of insights are so important then you can really start to think about the metrics, but it's the behaviors and the insights I think that helps drive, um, you know, some of the, the best decisions. Well, I liked one of our, I mean, I had the opportunity to go to India and, and actually do some of those closet visits with, yeah. you know, with consumers and, and seeing those global, you know, the global insight that actually built trends that we took around the world. So, you know, Angela, that kind of gets into the art side of the business, right? So, you know, being at the center of culture, as you mentioned before, how is, how, like in your, you know, from your perspective, how has diving into culture, being constantly curious, helped you make decisions in some of the strategies that you've pushed forward? I mean, it's, it doesn't matter how much data you have, right? Um, you, it's always going to come back to what we probably would call it merchant instinct, um, which is built through knowing your consumer, but more importantly, knowing where you want to take them, what's the journey you want to take them on. And, and I think that's where that, that unknown piece comes in, comes into play. Even though I have to say, you know, I'm learning as everybody, I'm learning every day and there's every day more data available. So as you connect the dots, um, it, it sometimes, you know, it, it makes you stop and think kind of like, hey, that, that gut feeling, that merchant, merchant instinct, whatever we want to call it, which is often comes just constantly looking out. I think self-aware, being self-aware is one of those things that is, I think, intrinsic to success of any merchant. Um, because, yes, you can see the data, you can, you can look at what's happening, but that only gives you guidance on what's already existing when it comes to things that don't exist. Um, and Julie mentioned COVID, I, the past definitely could not give any guidance for what was going to come, right? I mean, even today, I'm sure everybody's um, struggling with all different new types of challenges that we never could have anticipated, not even three months ago, uh, let alone 12 months ago. So that art piece um, is, is super important because you got to, at one point, be confident enough um, that you know and understand your consumer and that you're willing to take them. Um, on the journey that they might desire, but not necessarily know how to bring to life. Well, can you, each of you discuss a kind of an example from either what you're working on now or in the past of where you take in a cultural moment and really driven um, an optimistic opportunity, right? Something that's really, you see, you see possibility where others don't based on what you're seeing in sometimes a, a very niche, you know, part of the market. I mean, I, I can go first. I mean, that, that's, I think, numerous examples that can probably dive into a different aspect of it. But um, I mean, one that is, I think right now, at least um, becoming more, um, at least a parallel of it, becoming in, in, in the jeans world anyway, is like when Skinny started, right? Um, mm -hmm. If one of the things that, I, I, I believe that the apparel industry 
often mimics music industry, things that happen there, not only in terms of look and feel, but as well as kind of like business processes and, and, and all that stuff. But And then you get into the regionality of it. I mean, um, in Europe, of course, um, Skinny was at least three seasons, if, if not longer, ahead of the curve, two years maybe even. And I remember from a global perspective, we're having those conversations about, are we talking fit solutions? Are we talking cultural uh, solutions? Because culturally, you had, I mean, guys that look like bodybuilders, they were wearing kind of like lagging looking jeans. And on one side of the world, maybe people couldn't comprehend that, right? Because it, that had more to do with culture and being confident to wear something closer to your skin or not, or just wanting to partake in what supposedly is trend versus um, am I comfortable or am I um, whatever the drivers are. And I think that culture piece, which is a broader piece of center of culture is, is super important to understand because it doesn't always feel um, intuitively the right thing to do, right? Sometimes it is really counterintuitive, the decisions that you that you arrive at based on um, the those type of insights. So that that is one. And I think why I say that's relevant now, because now all of a sudden we're hearing all the conversations about skinny is dead, it's all going to be a loose fit again. So whoever is, has, I mean, that's been percolating for a while. And that is the, the center of culture that, that, that you could have seen it coming, right? And that you inserted into in so Julie, what about you? you? You're always extremely curious and looking across, even like from your, you know, from your family, you have two boys, they're probably always bringing you new ideas. What, what idea have you seen uh, recently that is kind of at the center of culture that you feel is an opportunity? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think center of culture is also a reflection of who your customer is, right? So the center of culture can change depending who you're targeting. You know, as I think about, you know, our, I suppose we all have a collective center of culture right now, which is, you know, the environment which we're operating. And, you know, I think a recency issue would be around COVID and how you start to address and think about shifts and changes in behaviors. But I think, you know, coming back to your bit around optimism and joy, I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, obviously as COVID hit, comfort was king, versatility was important, people were at home, everybody was doing what we're doing, we're on Zoom. But as you think about solutions and what, you know, he was wearing at the time, shorts became the new pants. And, you know, being able to build into, you know, shorts in a way that brought optimism and colour and joy to a time that frankly was, you know, really rough and still continues to be rough for us all was something that we wanted to bring. So, you know, it's really about how do you take you know, basically a silhouette that people and guys were wearing, you know, it was business on top, shorts on the bottom, probably still is probably what you guys are wearing now. But, you know, it's really about how do you think about these things, but then, you know, twist it a little bit so you've got, you know, amazing color or interest as you're thinking about it and, you know, really driving that joy in the moment. So I think that's a way of how do you think about something that's happening now, but being able to bring optimism and joy to a situation. That's a really interesting point. Like one thing I found in, um, you know, we always say like the 2080 rule, the Pareto principle, like it's a key merchandising principle. 80% uh -huh. of your business is driven by 20% of your product line. And we're always talking about editing Amplify. But what we've seen is that color and print and pattern because of this idea of joy and optimism is actually kind of taking that 20% into like a new realm. So even though you still have your foundational colors, the percentage of what's being purchased is less. So 
Um, that's a really big, you know, a, a slight cultural shift that if somebody wasn't really paying attention, they would again go back to maybe hindsight and then just pre-plan this foundational rule and and maybe overlook the opportunity that's out there. Right. I mean, if in this situation, let's face it, we're all looking for those moments of joy. So as you think about the role of color and or print and pattern and what it's going to play in your life, I think has been so important. And so, you know, that for me was a combination of how do you think about you know, what Bonobos is famous for, but then how do you look forward, think about how people are feeling and really think about how you combine all of those things together to bring that, that moment of joy. Um, yeah. I think around. an important piece to add, if I may, as well, is that something might be happening, like in your example, that this understanding the culture is what do you do with it, right? Um, and I think that's what you're alluding to, um, Jules, in terms of knowing your consumer. I mean, through COVID, more people have, moved outside, so hike and outdoors um, or running, whatever it is. So those things are really trending, but then you can just say, hey, I'm just gonna focus on those brands, but it is like, what do you want those brands to be and where else can you take them? Um, because I believe that those areas are gonna dominate, kind of like the general look and feel as we, as we move forward. So um, that gives brands like Merrill and Saucony as an example, the opportunity to really kind of like carve out what their next, 20, 30, 40 years will look like. Yeah. But I think, you know, you also raise a really good point, which is, you know, with versatility being so important, you know, there's this combination of commuting, being outdoors, you know, just where are you taking your product? How is the, how is apparel shifting and changing? I don't think, you know, in, in our past life, you know, fashion and performance were almost two different, very different businesses. I think the, the interesting intersection now is how do you bring, um, fashion and performance together. So you're really leaning into this idea of comfort and versatility, but it's not at the cost of fashion. And I think that that's a really interesting space as we as we move forward. I, I love that. And, and Grant, tell me if I'm taking us off topic, but it is indeed kind of like talking about center of cultures, like performance, right? You had performance brands and you had lifestyle brands or fashion brands, right? And those things are coming together. I mean, the behemoth called Nike, that, that's what they're doing. Um, and I think the brands that will be successful are going to find the right balance between those two. And I'm not saying you got to forget who you are. If, if you're a performance brand, that's your roots, that's your foundation. But then how do you make that relevant to um, a consumer from a lifestyle perspective? Because at the end of the day, as Grant used to say, it's life and style, right? <laughs> life and style. Life and exactly. style. Well, I have a, I mean, I'll add one last thing to kind of this topic around the art and science. We, we collaborations, right, is a big part of what we do. You know, I'm so thankful. Like we worked with Jun Takahashi and Nike to create Gakso in the day. And the real outcome of that was actually how a different perspective on color. It wasn't just the collaboration, but what came from that was a new perspective on color usage um, that could take a sport brand like Nike from a very traditional color palette to a whole new perspective through this Japanese fashion lens. We worked with Virgil Abloh at, at Levi's in his early, early days before he was ever, you know, the impact, the imp force he is at LVMH today. Um, so all those learnings, right, right, just really add up. And I like what I'm learning now by, and well, I, a lot of the conversations we're talking to collaborators as we, as music and entertainment and media becomes more important intersection into brands is what is that before stage, on stage, after stage. 
And that could be before gym, in gym, after gym. Today, the gym is your stage. Mm -hmm. Your Peloton or iFit community is your stage, right? It's in your home. Um, it's more important now than, than ever before, but I really love that psychography of you know, the consumer today that they're always, they're always preparing for something for a special moment. And that moment could be just your 30 minutes a day you take for yourself. And you're always then preparing like after, like what is that, how's that moment impacted your life? And then how are you taking that forward? You know, what's, how does that change in mental state? Um, taking it forward and what opportunities do you see in, in your life, you know, before you've either done, you know, giving back yourself through wellness or mindfulness or exercise, or you performed, or you've given the greatest, you know, concert of your life. Um, that's a really interesting kind of journey. And we're learning a lot of that through working with collaborators on a lot of levels. You know, we've obviously had such a tough 18 months, but if you think about moving forward, I think everybody's feeling much more grateful for the everyday and what you're experiencing every day. So how do you create these moments of everyday extraordinary, not just in those moments that, you know, whether you're going to a wedding or whether you're going to somewhere special, but it's really making that everyday extraordinary. So I think, how do you think about that in varying different angles? And, you know, what's the intersectionality between everyday extraordinary, the brand consideration set of your consumer, and how do you bring worlds together and, and not be afraid of that, right? really think about that as, as an opportunity, which is, I think is exciting. Yeah. I love that idea of making the ordinary extraordinary. That alone is like an amazing concept to think about. Well, the, you know, it's, we have built great teams and at the end of the day, there's a lot of people listening that are looking for maybe tips to take their career forward. Again, what, what are the three things that you feel make the modern merchant? So Julie, maybe you you can see your three, your three things that um, you'd like to leave with the audience make today's modern merchant. Or a merchant in general, honestly, I think number one is curiosity. And I think what comes with curiosity is an open-mindedness. And I think that that is so important to just thinking about possibilities. Like you've always got to be thinking about the future, what's coming, um, what's around the corner, what are you not considering? And I, that's, you know, for me, comes from this idea of constant curiosity. Also, as you guys know, can be really annoying because I ask, I ask a lot of questions, but I think this idea of constant curiosity, just, you know, it's like you see the world as always opportunities and possibilities. I think um, there's a passion and optimism that needs to come with a, a modern merchant because you've got to be really passionate about what you do. I mean, this, we don't do this for money. We do this because we're passionate about it. And, um, and how do you do that with an optimism of seeing the world? Because you've always got to look at that through the lens of opportunities. And I'd say, you know, last, lastly, and I realize that's more than three, but tenacity. I mean, yeah. it's also not an easy world to continue to navigate. And it is constantly changing and you've got to be constantly thinking and, you know, it's some multitask and multi, yeah, multi varied in kind of all the things we're looking at. So there's a tenacity to kind of follow through and get things done. And so, you know, that's how I think about a modern merchant. Yeah. Angela, what about you? Um, you should have asked me first because you already answered it all already. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of um, the things that I would say are, are similar. I mean, the two that I always say is taste and tenacity, right? That that's to me kind of like the, the ideal combination. Um, it's because especially when we talked about kind of like taking a consumer on a journey and going when no man has gone before kind of thing. It's 
people don't see it people don't believe it right so you gotta have the tenacity to be able to convince people and just go through walls because most businesses unfortunately tend to be rear view mirror focused um because it's all about kind of like pumping less here and that is super important because we, we're here to like, drive value but if you want to drive value over time um you gotta kind of like push the boundaries and that's where um that optimism the storytelling and, and all those pieces come come into and come into play um i think that that's one piece that maybe often gets a little bit um forgotten um because hey given all the right circumstances it's relatively easy to come up with what it should be and if you have an audience that definitely supports everything you do then great but nine or ten times that's not the case right that's always so at least one person that needs to be convinced and that's that tenacity with that storytelling um and doing that passionately in an optimistic way is super important yeah i think you know something that you always talk about you know both of you guys talk about is building belief and um and i think all of those things help to build belief in an idea and taking a risk and you know moving things forward and that's that idea of building belief which i think is is underpins a lot of this and that ability to be able to do that is super important yeah i think the most important thing for the modern merchant is to have your trusted crew around you at all times um, around the globe on dial 24 7 who you can always ask questions and bounce ideas off of and for me you two are my core of my trusted crew and i want to thank you for all the support and the hard work and the tenacity and the curiosity and the optimism you've given me over the years so um we're coming up on the hour i want to thank you both very very much out of your taking time out of your busy day angelo um from curacao julie from new york city thank you for calling in from around the world and sharing your insight and points of view it's just scratching the surface this topic but i know that all of our listeners will get a lot out from this discussion so thanks very much super fun thank you for having us yeah thank, thanks again for having us i mean um super happy to to share a little bit of knowledge that we've accumulated over the years 30 minutes is by far not enough um but it was uh, but i enjoyed it thank you and i'm sure our our listeners will come back and maybe ask for more so we might have you have to have you back for a uh, round two in the future fabulous right. yeah thank you Greg. all right thanks thanks for everything <laughs>